everyone. Welcome to Life Church today. Um, my name's Matt, lead pastor here along with my wife Tanya, and we're so grateful to have you with us today on this beautiful day, this beautiful Sunday, uh, August Sunday, and uh, long weekend Sunday. And so grateful that you came to join us today. Um, really excited about what God is doing. And without any further ado, we're going to dive right into our word today, right into the message today. We get to worship God by studying his word. Isn't that awesome? And we get to let the word of God change us and work in us today. And for those of you who have not been with us, I'll bring you up to speed. We've been doing a series this summer from the book of James. We've been going through it uh, line by line, and we've been working our way through the book. We began about five weeks, six weeks ago with Pastor Mike kicking off the series, giving us a little bit of a background. The statement from that morning is, the bottom line is we are saved by a living faith. I thought that was such a good line. That He said, week two, we talked about the faith that endures. Uh, week three, we talked about evidence of faith in your life and how you view money. We talked about that. Uh, week four, we talked about faith to overcome temptation. And then last week, Pastor Mike preached a great message on faith and mercy, that mercy triumphs over judgment. It was a wonderful word. And just kind of an idea of what we've been talking about with, with the book of James. Uh, we've been talking about it from the context of a question. And that question is this, what is the evidence of faith in your life? What is the evidence of of faith in your life. Of course, the book of James can be a little bit of a controversial book because uh, it's very, very practical. Uh, often throughout the book, James gives us very practical ways that we can live out our faith. And so uh, for some people, this has been a little bit controversial. And actually, the passage that we're about to dive in today to today uh, could be argued to be the most controversial uh, of the entire book. Are you guys ready for some controversy? Yes, we love controversy. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of James, chapter 2, verse 14. James, chapter 2, verse 14. The title of my message this morning is The Proof of Faith. Somebody say that. The Proof of Faith. Thank you. The Proof of Faith. And we're going to be reading James, chapter 2, verse 14. I'm reading from the New King James Version. So I'll be reading from my Bible up here, and we're going to read down to verse 26, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into this today. All right, here we go. James chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you know, want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works, is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Did you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? Verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, not by faith only. 
Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. God, we come under the authority of your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, today that your word is living and active. That it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides between the soul and the spirit, discerns to the intents of the heart, Lord God. And we thank you today, Lord God, not only that, but your word will accomplish what it is set out to do. And it will not return void. And Father God, we pray that today as we come under your word, Lord Jesus, God, that you would speak to us and you would work in us. Father, that you would plant seeds of life in us, Lord God. And Lord Jesus, that we would begin to see, Lord God, what it is that you have for us, Lord God. We pray that it would impact us, that we would bear good fruit, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. I pray you'd help me to get out of the way. I pray you'd anoint these lips to speak your word, Lord God, with authority, Lord God, and with unction and with power, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Lord God, today for the grace of Jesus Christ that flows through this place. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Well, we've just read a very probably somewhat intense passage of Scripture from James chapter 2, verse 14 and 26. And the big question that I have today for you from this particular passage is actually the big question that we've been asking throughout the entire series. And our question today is this, what is the evidence of faith in your life? This is the big question. If you actually have faith, should there not be evidence there as well? James certainly seems to think so. In fact, you could almost say that what James is saying here is that if you don't see evidence of faith in your life, is there actually faith there? Is there actually faith there? And of course, I mentioned to you earlier that this particular passage can be quite controversial within the church and has been throughout church history. And why is that? I think the reason that this has been very controversial is because of one word that is mentioned 12 times in the passage we just read. And that word is the word works. Somebody say works. Works. And oftentimes what you'll hear people or some scholars have said in the past is that this this passage seems to set James at odds with Paul. And it's like they say that there's this, this dividing line between the two. You've got James who is the works guy. You've got to work your way into God's good graces. You've got to show it before you can believe it and you can begin to, to act it out and, and, and have evidence of it. But over here you've got Paul who's like the faith and grace guy. And Paul's the, hey, we are saved by grace through faith and not of works. Lest man should boast, right? You've got Paul over here that kind of seems to be saying something that seems to be in a little bit at odds with what James is saying over here. You've got faith and you've got works. And the big question is, how do these two interact with each other? Now, here's what I believe about the Scriptures. I believe that the Word of God is to be taken in its entirety. I don't believe that we just take a Scripture and pull it out out of context and say, this is it, and this is it for the rest of your life. What you read right now is what we ought to do. I believe that it's the entire Word of God or the whole counsel of God. And one of our principles of interpretation is that Scripture interprets Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, But all Scripture is given by God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and instruction, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped. 
And church, we believe that. We believe that all Scripture is given by God. And so in order for us to be able to understand this Scripture, we have to understand that uh, whatever the Bible says about a subject is the truth of that subject. And if there is an apparent contradiction there, it's a place for you to get excited. Why? Because it tells us that we need the Spirit of God to understand it. We can't just figure this out on our own. We need His presence. And as we talk about this subject today, and we talk about this apparent contradiction between faith and grace and works, I'd like to share with you a modern day parable that I think is going to help to bring some color and some context to the direction we're going to go today. I'd like to tell you a story. You guys ready for some story time? Should I sit down here? No, you can't see the cameras. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, babe. It's very dramatic though, right? Once upon a time, there was a young girl. And this young girl had grown up in a beautiful home with a beautiful family. And she had a dream that one day she would have a family of her own. Her dream was to get married someday. And she met a young man somewhere along the way. And she started to spend time with this young man. And as she began to spend time with this young man, her hopes and her dreams started to become awakened within her. And she thought to herself, could this be the one? The young man, uh, they started to have some conversations. You know, that, that classic conversation of, hey, where are we at? Where is this going? And the young man responded and said, well, let me tell you something. What are we going to name her? Give, give, let's give her a name. What's her name? Angela. We'll call her Angela. Angela, guess what? She said, what? One day, I think I might marry you. That's amazing. But what I need you to do is I need you to dress only in this color. Okay. And so she started to dress only in that color. And then time went on. Okay, so like, where, where are we at? Like, where are we going? And he said, Angela, one day I might marry you. I, I might even love you. But in order for that to happen, I need you to only eat at these types of restaurants. Okay. So she started eating at those restaurants. Time went on, and he says, okay, listen, we gotta, we got to try this out. we got to make sure this is going to work. So what I'm going to do is I've got an extra room in my house, and I want you to move into that room now. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you cook in my house. And if I feel like it's good, then, then we might consider love and, and marriage. And she agreed, and, and she moved in. And then the next thing it was, hey, well, you got to start paying some rent if you're going to live here. And so she was working day and night to try and pay the rent that was due every month. And the, 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 the requirements Start, started to, to stack up and pile up. And over time, she began to get discouraged and get disillusioned and think to herself, is this ever going to happen? But there was this hope in front of her that maybe one day she would earn his love and she'd be able to marry this man. And she worked and she worked and she worked and she tried to earn her way into his good graces, but it could never seem to be good enough. And finally, one day, she was tired and she had been, you know, used and, 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 and exhausted and, and, and disillusioned. And finally, she had the courage to leave the house and to go away. Amen. Good for her. Angela ran away. 
Went back home to her parents. Took some time to heal, recuperate. And when she was least expecting it, she was out and about one day. She met another young man. This young man's name was Michael. And he was different than the first. Michael loved her. Michael immediately fell in love with her. In fact, it was love at first sight. And within one week, he had turned to Angela and said, Angela, I think you're going to be my wife. And she thought, oh my goodness. And she said, well, what, what, what do you need me to do for that? He said, he said nothing. I love you. And you know what happened? Michael married Angela. And he took her and he gave her a ring. And he gave her his last name. And he brought her into his home. And out of that love, and out of that acceptance, and out of that position, she began to act in a new way. And now it wasn't because she was trying to prove something or trying to earn something, but she began to act in such a way that was out of the love that had been given to her. In that story, you have two young men. The first one represents every other religious system in the planet. The difference between Michael, Christianity, and every other religious system in the planet is that every other religious system in the planet is based upon this idea that you have to work your way into God's graces. That the only way that you can be made righteous is if you work hard enough. If you put in the time, if you, if, you, if you put in the effort, and if you do the things that they ask you to do, which keeps seeming to add on one to another. Whereas Christianity is the faith where you come to God just as you are. And he loves you, he accepts you, and he marries you. And he calls you his own. And now you get to act out of a position of contentment and honor. Do you see the difference, church? Do you see the difference? You get to act it out. I want you to remember that story as we dive into these ideas today because it's foundational to our faith. So, here's what we're going to do. I think if we, if we approach this scripture and we simply talk about works, we're going to miss a balancing point here that needs to be brought out. And so I want to spend the first few moments building onto this and that is number one. We've got four points today. Number one, this is what I want to say to you. We are saved by grace through faith alone. We are not saved by our works. We are not saved by being the Angela with the first husband trying to, or man, it wasn't even her husband, trying to work your way, or your way into this position trying to work her way into his good graces, trying to figure out a way to, to get his attention and make him think that she was good enough. That's not what it is. We are saved by grace through faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And in, these, in, the, in this idea here, there's kind of some, some theological terminology that I wanted to, to present to you this morning. And there's these ideas that are th listed throughout the scriptures. And one of these ideas is the idea of justification. Somebody say justification. 
And justification is this idea, it's, it's, it's defined as an act of God whereby he pronounces a sinner to be righteous because of that sinner's faith in Christ. In the book of Corinthians, it says this, He became sin that you might become the righteousness of God in him. This idea of justification is exciting uh, because I've often heard it defined this way, just as if I've never sinned. This is our position in Christ by faith today. Do you know that I have never been as righteous as I am right now because of my faith in Christ? Just to be clear, it's not because I'm so awesome. It's not because I checked all the boxes this week, but because I come before Christ today with a repentant heart and a heart that says, God, come and have your way in me. I've never been as righteous as I am right now. It's just as if I've never sinned. Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. I'm not justified because of what I've done. I'm justified because of Christ in me, the hope of glory. And another concept here is this idea of sanctification. Now where justification is our position in Christ, we are justified by him. Sanctification is the next step, and it is uh, being set apart. To be sanctified means to literally be set apart or to be purified. And it's this idea is deliverance from the power of sin and is a present and continuous process of believers becoming Christ-like, accomplished by the Holy Spirit's power and presence. So not only am I justified by God, you know, set apart by Him, I've been married to Him, if you will, I'm loved by Him, it's my position in Him, but also the Spirit of God is helping me to grow in my relationship with Him. So I was saved, I am saved, and I'm being saved. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into His image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. So my position in Christ is I'm saved. I'm purified. I'm justified, just as if I've never sinned. But in the meantime, God is still sanctifying me. So you say, well, man, I don't always see the evidence of that in my life. What's going on? Don't worry. He's doing it. He's sanctifying you. And as you turn your faith towards him and you pursue him and you go after the things of God, he begins to change you from glory to glory to glory by the Spirit of God. Do you understand? Do you hear me? Are you with me? 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Our position is justified before God, but our, our, our journey is sanctification as we continue to grow in Him. Amen? Okay, so number one, we are saved by grace through faith alone. Now we're going to loop in a little bit of this James. Number two, if there is faith in your life that is fundamental to who you are, there will be evidence of it. Remember Angela? She married this man. Within a few weeks, they got married, radically fell in love, and guess what? She had a ring on her finger. If you ask, how do you know you're married? My last name got changed to his last name. How do you know you're married? He, I, brought, came in, I live with him now. I'm in his home. We live together, and we, we do things together. We're moving in the same direction. If 
the faith that you profess is fundamental to who you are, that there will be evidence of it in your life. If you believe something, if you act in such a way that you believe something to be the truth and you walk in that, then there will be evidence of that. I think a great example of this is, you know, um, one of the fundamental conversations that we'll often have with each other when we talk to people is we'll say this, you know, what do you do? You know that question? And if you actually do what you say you do, there's going to be some evidence of it. Like you can't just get up one morning and think, hey, I'm just going to change what I do today. That's it. I'm just this. Like, you know, I've been watching these hockey players. Man, they make ridiculous amounts of money. You know what? Today, I'm no longer a pastor. I'm no longer a businessman. I am now a hockey player. It's true. So you, the first person you meet, hi, how you doing? Good. What do you do? I'm a hockey player. Really? Yeah, I'm a hockey player. Oh, well, what, what's your favorite team? Seattle Seahawks. For those of you who don't know, that's a football team. Okay. All right, good. Good for you. Uh, what, what position do you play? A uh, shortstop. You know, sometimes point guard. Uh, yeah. Uh, what kind of equipment do you use? You know, like hockey stuff. I, I use hockey stuff mostly. You know, like stuff. Okay. And what kind of sticks do you use? I don't use a stick. What, what do you need a stick for? Yeah, I don't know. Well, hockey players need sticks to play hockey. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a classic hockey stick. It's all good. You know, there's evidence, right? If you truly are what you say you are, there's going to be some evidence to back that up. Right? So here's what James says, chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? You say you're a hockey player, but do you actually know what that means? Have you signed a contract? Have you put in the practice? Have you put in the time? Is it something that you actually do? This also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 17. This is this idea of, 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 you know, what is the fundamentals of your faith? What is the fundamental of your life? What is the thing that you live for when it comes to your faith? And, and this comes back to this Matthew 6.33 idea of seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added into you as well. This comes back to the idea of Matthew 12, 33, where it says, either make the tree good or, or it's, its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. How many know that where your roots are, the fundamental part of your faith is going to come out in your life, right? A tree is known by its fruit. I mean, I don't know very much about trees, but if you show me a tree and it's got apples on it, what kind of tree is it? Right. If you show me a tree and it's got lemons on it, what kind of tree is it? A lemon tree. Right. If you show me a tree and it's got cherries on it, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good at guessing I think that's going to be a cherry tree. Because the fruit that comes out of that tree tells me what kind of tree it is. And the same for us. If the fundamentals of our life is our faith in Christ, if we are actually seeking first his kingdom and his, his righteousness, if we are actually going after the things of God, then there is going to be a fruit that's going to come out in our lives. If we conclude the passage we read earlier from Paul, it says Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works 
which Christ prepared beforehand that we might walk in here. So even Paul is saying, there's some works for us to do, some things for us to do. Um, a commentator said this, he said, works play no part at all in securing our salvation. We talked about this earlier. But afterwards, Christians will prove their faith by their works. Here Paul shows himself at one with James. And so the real question here is, is Jesus first in your life? Can a person actually call themselves a Christian who shows no evidence of faith in their lives? I love this quote. Um, if you're a DC Talk fan, anybody know who DC Talk is? That's my era, generation. Uh, you'll know this quote, but if you're, if you're not, this is this uh, powerful, powerful quote. And it's this idea that if, if we are a Christian, it ought to be reflected in our lives, right? The Bible says, you are the light of the world. city on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, you know, it, it says you're the salt of the earth. You better have some flavor to you if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian. And on the flip side of that, you know, what James is saying is if you don't have that, are you really actually a follower of Jesus? But Brennan Manning says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Could there be an evidence of Jesus in our lives? Titus 3.8 says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. William Barclay says this, The fact is no man can be saved by works, but equally no man can be saved without producing works. There's an evidence that begins to overflow in our lives as we put him first. Amen? There's an evidence. And number three, the evidence of live faith. I'm quoting Pastor Mike here. Live faith is seen in the outworking of the Holy Spirit. The evidence of live faith is seen in the outworking of the Holy Spirit. James 2.26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. I've got a couple scriptures here. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Work it out. Live it out. Work out that which God is working in you. Come on. You are no longer your own, but you were bought with a price. You belong to Jesus, and he has called you, and he has chosen you. And so therefore, step up into that. He married you. He brought you out. He loves you. Let that identity and that reality influence the way that you act. It ought to. Acts 18.5, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Come on, we need to be compelled by the Spirit of God. And then finally, Galatians 5, 22, But the fruit of the Spirit, and again, a tree is known by its fruit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are of Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Come on, if you are a follower of Jesus, then what ought to flow out of you is rivers of living water. Then what ought to flow out of you is the fruit of the Spirit. And number four, last one, we must demonstrate faith. 
James 2.18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. James 2.24 says, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And the question at the very beginning is, what is it? Is it faith or is it works? Is it faith? Or is it works? And if you're, if you, you, know, you might be thinking I'm saying it's all about faith, but actually, it's actually both and. It's both and. Charles Spurgeon says, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. Allow the grace of God to bring change into your life. Allow the grace of God to work in you, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And William Barclay in his commentary lists three areas. He says, in a well-proportioned life, there must be, and he, he, he lists these different things that could be considered to be contradictions, but in fact, he says they are the same, is thought and action. You know, at the beginning, James here is saying, look, you say you've got faith, I've got works, is what he's saying. You know, you're the faith guy, I'm the works guy. And he's saying, no, 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 it, it's, it's not one or the either, it's both and. And so here, uh, William Barclay is saying it's, it's thought and action. You know, we've got people over here, they're the thinkers. This is their job. I'm just going to sit around all day and just think. And then you've got the action guys, the guys that are out there building the houses and doing all the things and, and getting action. Listen, you have to have a mixture of thought and action in order to, to live in this planet. Amen? How about this? There, well-proportioned life, there must be prayer and effort. Okay, I'm just going to be the prayer guy. I'm just going to sit over here, and I'm just going to pray. And then you go out, and you feed the poor, and you do all these other things over here. No, no, no. It's got to be pray and go, and pray and go. And finally, a well-proportioned life, there must be faith, and there must be deeds. You have faith. Is there evidence of it in your life? You have faith. And can we just make this really practical and really simple? You have faith. Okay, I'm going through a really hard time right now. I've got a lot of things that are coming against me. I've got some challenges. It's very, very stressful. And yes, I have faith. Okay, is there evidence of that in your life? Did you turn to him when you were in that stressful moment? Did you, did you trust in God? Did you recognize that he was with you? In that stressful time, did you turn to him? Because he's here for you. Did you know that, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it? Did you know that the steps of the righteous are ordered of God? Did you come in this morning? Here's, here's a really practical way this could work itself out. You know, we're singing up here, praise, give him praise, give him praise. And you're just like, man, I'm just not feeling it this morning. But I have faith in Christ. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead, I'm going to tell my soul, just like David did in Psalm 42, soul, hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Soul, why are you cast down and disquieted within me, O my soul? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him. And you, you speak to your soul, you turn and you say, but God is worthy, and I have faith to believe it, and I'm going to put action to that faith, and I'm going to sing a song that I don't feel like singing this morning, because I'm trusting that my God goes before me, and that my God has a plan. So I'm going to sing it out, pray. Sing harder in the highest. Why? Because he is worthy. Right? He is worthy of all of my praise. And I've given notice to myself that my faith is not in my own things and my feelings. My faith is in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. 
So in conclusion, as we close today, the question that we asked at the beginning is this. Is there evidence of faith in your life? And the answer is, if not, the answer is not to just go out and pursue a bunch of works to prove it, but pursue Jesus. And out of a relationship with him will flow the works that you desire. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you as well. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And because of my position in him, I have the opportunity to live a life that is extraordinary and exceptional. Amen?